It's all about adult football. Even adult football is getting it wrong. Vets football in East London now is ridiculous. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, welcome to this week's show. This week we're diving into grassroots. So we'd like to welcome Imral Ghazi. Imral, how are you doing? I'm good, boys. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much. Z, you all right yeah, as well? Yeah, doing well, mate. I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Apu? You good? All good, my end. All good, my end. Sunshine in. We're approaching the end of lockdown, so all's, everything's looking good. Emerald, I think you've got plans already, haven't you? Uh, just about. Well, I'm doing gardening today, so I'm looking forward to getting out with the kids. So we've got, we've got some plants to hunt, if you like. Yeah, so weather has been amazing. Lockdown finishes next week, I hope, but well, it's the beginning and I'm playing golf, so I've got the week off. I'm going to miss most of it. You've got the week off just to play golf. Oh, mate, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go crazy at home. Mrs. knows it as well, so she's given me the, she's given me the permission. Fair enough. Okay, so, Imril, you are the manager of Sporting Bengal, is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, um, so Sporting Bengal, for those who don't know, is a semi-pro team in based in where is it Mile End in Mile East End London? Stadium in East London in Tower Hamlets. So that's where we are based. They've been in existence now since 1996. Um, I know Z, your co-host, knows a lot about them. Um, I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm I count myself still fairly new. I've, I've been in London for about ten years now. I'm a, I'm a northerner, uh, originally from Bradford. Got involved at, with sporting and and the organisation itself about nine years ago, um, and really just become entrenched in uh, in the, the the Bangladeshi football community here in in Tower Hamlets and it's going to so give me a lot so I'm is that your background some... are you Bangladeshi yourself I'm Bangladeshi myself yeah grew up like I said born and raised in Bradford though um, so that makes me honorary Pakistani and um, <laughs> but yeah so um, yeah man uh, it's it's been it's been a journey to say the least um, and we talk about grassroots football we talk about what it gives to you Football through football, especially over the last nine to ten years, I've met so many people, good and bad, and um, the experiences have made me grow as a individual and as a man. I'm telling you, it's, it's been um, it's been it's been one hell of a a, a a rocky a rocky ride over the last ten years, but fun. Wouldn't change it for anything. Cool. So let's let's start from the beginning or earlier on anyway. So talk to us about your football journey in Bradford. Do you what were you doing there? Were you playing for a team? Where did you start your coaching at that point? No, not really. I, um, I was always involved in amateur football, um, Sunday league teams. Did a bit of Saturday football. Um, I, I wouldn't say I played at any amazing level it was you know just your standard with your mates but Sunday league very good level we had a couple of decent teams um but it was more for a laugh more for uh, a bit of um, playing with the local lads I played at in terms of Bradford school boys I did all that um but then once once I went to uni all that stopped uh, and it kind of as you do you get engrossed in your studies just move on with your life work everything else takes over um but once I eventually 
kind of left Bradford for university where I studied in Sheffield, played for the uni team. Uh, eventually, when I came back about six, seven years later, I got quite engrossed in the local grassroots football and especially the Asian football scene uh, where we, I grew up in Manningham, which is predominantly a, an Asian area of Bangladeshi, Pakistani community. And um, I, I played for a local side uh, with, with friends. We kind of just played local Sunday league. It was the West Riding, West Riding uh, football Sunday league that we took part in. And we kind of progressed through the leagues. We set up a team, did really well. There was, there was ourselves and another Pakistani team called um, Heaton United, which were probably at the time in the late two, late 90s, early 2000s, were the only, only two Asian teams playing in the Bradford uh, Sunday Alliance League. Which and there was five divisions, uh, and together we went from like division five all the way to the Premier Division, um, and that's kind of when it, you know, we, we we reached a plateau. But the the talent, like anywhere else, there was all it was always there, but it was from in my experiences and uh, that I had more so in Bradford than here, um, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, it was practically impossible for an Asian team to go out and. And to be accepted at, at that, even then on a Sunday. And it was, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what it was like for a team like Bradford Albion, who were probably the biggest Asian run football club in Bradford, um, you know, and the, and the experiences they must have faced. But for us on a Sunday, it was, it was absolutely horrendous. We, we'd, go, we'd go to most games every other week, let's say, expecting to have a fight, expecting to be, um, you know, not, first, first we'd expect to win games. We'd win games, but we'd also we'd get beaten up in the process, or we'd give as good as we like, if you like. But that was just the scenario. But it was part and parcel of going back then, uh, growing up, growing up in them days. But you know, we, we move on. But it was an experience that that shapes you. It's an experience that makes you realize and um, that you know life's not easy. Because I, I went through most of my childhood not experiencing racism. It was only when I got into the football pitch that I, I started experiencing it. Um, so school was fine for me. I didn't really see anything. Uh, didn't that, so you you said you played for Bradford School Boys. Yeah. Um, what was your experience of that like? And in terms, a couple of things to consider, if you don't mind, when you're answering. Yeah, that, is, um, We've spoken to other people who've been in and around schoolboy football, and when they start playing for the county and that kind of level. Many of them, many of the team tend to be in academies, etc. And anecdotally, quite often it's the Asians that get left behind. Not always, but it's it's happened. We've heard lots of stories of that happening. What was your schoolboy experience like? I had a great experience. I was one. I was my school team and in the uh, our under sixteen at the time. I was the only Asian kid kid involved. Not just football. I, I was quite. Uh, actively involved in all the sports, basketball, rugby, football, tennis, you name it. I was involved at a county level for most of them. And I was fortunate. I didn't experience much racism then at all. It was it was really positive. Even the parents that were there, the support I was getting from other parents who were encouraging me to, who were taking me to games on a weekend uh, and asking me to get involved because they knew my situation at home. You know, I grew up in a working class environment in the heart of uh, Bradford City, uh, not stone throw away from the Valley from Valley Parade. Um, my parents weren't interested. You know, my 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 mum and dad had no idea what that. You know, they knew I was I was I was playing sports at school, but to what level? They had no, absolutely no idea. Uh, they were busy with their own lives. My dad was trying to busy trying to bring you know put food on the table, 
My mum was just busy with her day-to-day chores around the house and it wasn't something questions they asked. And we grew up knowing the struggles that we had. I'm no different to most other Asian kids. And my dad put a lot of priority. That, that, that old analogy and that stereotype was definitely my dad. The priority was, was education. And he didn't, he says, yeah, go and do your sports, do what you like. But ultimately you've got to come home, get your homework done on time. He'd sit us down and we'd be doing our maths and sciences with him. Uh, Arabic, going to Arabic classes after school. That was always priority over anything else. So you could do what you like, but you have, you know, the timetable was set. Like we'd come from school, you know, you'd have to be home for five o'clock, make sure you're in the mosque between five and seven. Um, so there were constraints, not just financially, but also from a cultural perspective, from our perspective and a religious perspective. And I was I was really, really wary of that. And I can't blame my parents. Um, you know, I, 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 I couldn't ask any more of my mum and dad and, and what they did for us growing up. So uh, in terms of racism, like I said, going back at school and Bradford Boys, the county level, I was fortunate. I didn't experience it. There was one incident and that's what it was. But it was only when I... It was post when I got into my 20s and I was playing Sunday league football that I realised, well, hang on, yeah, this is what racism is all about. But I grew up in a in a real bubble in my community. All my, my life growing up was amazing. It was literally, um, you know, uh, home, school, uh, come home from school, it was mosque, and then the park in front of my house and the guys I grew up with. And that's it. I knew nothing else for 18 years. Absolutely nothing else. And and I grew up, and all I knew was my mates and my family, and that was all, you know. And and I was happy; I didn't want anything else. Um, so I can't complain. So, but yeah, so I couldn't tell you about what what other people's experience. But my experiences up until the age of eighteen, nineteen, twenty were were absolutely amazing. I didn't I, I didn't experience racism at all, apart from maybe one time. The one time I experienced it, and I was in a foot, the Yorkshire Cup County Cup semi final. We played Yorkshire Martyrs away down in Tong, and again, only Asian on the pitch and. You go to the corner of the. You got. I didn't think much of it at the time, believe it or not. I didn't. I don't know why. But looking back, and it was just a case of smack the packy kid, you know, smack the packy kid. And he, at that time, I didn't know. I was fifteen. I didn't. We didn't. I just water over the back. Didn't mean anything to me. I was like, didn't even. Didn't even bat an eyelid until afterwards. Um, but yeah, so that that's. I, I was fortunate. Really fortunate. I hear stories of people in East London and the stuff they went through growing up as, as young teenagers, et cetera. But I didn't experience any of that. So I can't, I can't tell you that, yeah, my, my, my childhood was full of racist experiences when it wasn't. I have nothing, I've got nothing but good memories. But in terms of the lack of, uh, genuinely, I'm one of them cases where parental support was an issue. Education was always a priority in our house. The be-all and end-all was education. That's, that's what's going to get you um, the opportunities in life, not sports. So if we talk about stereotypes, definitely um, that is definitely, you know, for my case, that's the, that's the, that, that is the scenario. That is, that is the story of my child. Because I'm confident I had, the, I had the opportunities. I had genuine opportunities to go and trial with Bradford City, to go and play at a very good level. Eccles Hill Football Club was one of the best youth teams on a Saturday playing in the Bradford area. All my school friends were playing for Eccles. Their parents literally went to my house to speak to my dad. And my dad said, no. They were willing to do everything, pay for my kit, pay for all my... They were going to do all of that. And my dad said, no. And, I, and I, never, I never, ever questioned my dad. It was just the way it was. And I was happy with that. And I still to this very day, I've got no regrets. But I know, personally, just, I, I had, I had, into this very day, my, my, my family members know that I had 
I had the, I had the talent to make it, uh, especially at Bradford. Uh, there was kids in my my year group that went on to play pro football at Bradford City, um, at Halifax, etc. I was playing a very good recent and, and still are, well, not now, but back still were playing till up until the last 10, 10, 12 years. They were playing at a very good level. And, you know, our school team was one of the best in the best in the county. So there was no reason why I couldn't make it and I should have made it. But like I say, it was just one of them things. You, 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 I was um, an example of the, the perfect stereotype that people have, that subconscious bias that they have right now still to this very day about Asian people. And that was definitely the case for me in the 80s and the 90s growing up in Bradford. Yeah, I mean, listen, the stereotype comes from somewhere and we've, we've talked previously about why that's the case. And I think the, the difference is now we're another generation or two down and that need of survival isn't as strong as as it used to be for your dad. Was your, What was your dad, first generation or immigrant? First or? generation, yeah, yeah, first generation. Came in the late 60s, um, worked in factories. He was a teacher by qualification in Bangladesh. So he was an educated man. Um, so he valued education. That was his thing. So, you know, he was made redundant very early from the mills uh, and then set up his own school, taught Bangladesh, Bangladeshi to local kids, taught, you know, the Bengali language to kids, did a lot of community work. Um, so, yes, I've always grown. I've always, I, I knew nothing else. Growing up, I saw what I saw. My my my, my dad and my mom, all they ever knew was the community in to do stuff for the community and can they grow the community? We didn't really see anything else apart from that. And uh, I didn't realise how important it was at the time. But looking back now, you know, I, I see what my dad did for that area of Bradford that we grew up in and it's, his, his legacy is still there. Um, so, you know, for me, it was it, I don't regret any of my childhood and I don't regret any decisions my dad made. Fantastic. Okay, so when did your coaching journey start was that while you were still in Bradford or was it after no. you moved down to London yeah moved here 2010 uh, I, I when I moved to London my son was seven it's pretty much I was 36 when I moved here so I was it, footballing was kind of although vets the vets football senior is massive I still obviously keep fit play a lot of football still uh, but it was mainly just to spend more time with my son um, and so I, I did my level one whereabouts, uh, whereabouts was this what area so uh, um, when I first moved, moved to Tower Hamlets, so I was living in the Isle of Dogs. So I bought a house in the Isle of Dogs and, uh, yeah, got involved with, um, there's an organisation called uh, Balance and another organisation called um, Osmani Trust. So I got involved, involved with them too. And, and uh, through football, again, make links. And I made a really good friend in a guy called Sana Sanamia. And um, he kind of got me involved. He, he was running it. He, he was part of a youth organisation and, they needed someone to run a, a youth team, and obviously I was I just on my level one, and I was, I was, I was, I, I needed some some kids to coach. So I said, well, look, you know, I'm available. My son was playing for his team. I said, well, you know, they, I'll, I'll let me coach them, let me manage them. And it's the usual way, most as most parents do, you you get involved through your kids. And really, then since then, I've not looked back. So I, I got involved with FC Usmani, uh, took over the under nines team at the time. And, managed uh, and coached that particular team for about six years. Uh, and, and then obviously in that time, uh, I did my level two. And then also 2011, I think we set up a sporting Bengal. I got involved with the, the Z, Z will probably know them a bit more than yourself, um, an organisation called Bangladesh Football Organisation, BFA UK, who are now Sporting Foundation. Um, and they kind of run, they ran the football scene 
in the uh, in the late 90s, 2000s. Uh, they had their own summer league, they had their own winter leagues. And um, obviously Sporting Bengal was one of the projects of the Bangladesh football organisation here in the UK. And um, yeah, so they never really had a, a kids set up. So we kind of, all I did was take my kids who are currently then on the 10s and 11s, took them over to the academy. We set up in association with Anwar Uddin, who's the ex-pro Dagenham footballer, ex-Barnet, uh, and now currently the assistant at uh, Aldershot. Uh, he, he was like a patron for the organisation. Um, so he put his name to the, and he, he got really actively involved in the first year, coming to run sessions. Um, so I worked alongside Anwar with the, with the kids. And we went from having 10 kids all the way to, you know, by the end of that couple of years, about 80 to 100 kids. And we set up three or four teams. Um, but my, my lads were the first Sporting Bengal Academy team. And uh, I guess that's where that's where my love for coaching and management kind of came in. Really, I didn't really have much experience prior to that in terms of uh, I managed a couple of adult teams on a Sunday in Bradford, so I kind of knew I had a flavour of it. But um, in terms of coaching, I really got the bug there with the kids um, and, and enjoyed it. And we kind of went from from there. It grew. It was a bit of a snowball effect from there. Uh, and that and and you know that's how that's how the the uh, I got to where I am currently at the moment as being first team manager at Sporting Bengal. Cool. So with Sporting Bengal, do you, I, I don't know if Z you want to do this instead, but can you just give us a little bit of the history of Sporting Bengal? You said they were formed in around 1996. For those of us, or for those, for our listeners that, that aren't aware of who they are, yeah. So. Based in Tower Hamlets, predominantly anyone that knows Tower anything Hamlets is inner city East London. Inner city East London, and predominantly a very uh, you know the, the has the most highest population of Bangladeshis in the UK. Uh, and in 1996, Z, Z will probably know more about the Asian League in the 90s than I will. I've heard about it, and I know I know little bits about it. But there were there were eight teams or so in and around Tower Hamlets that were playing the Asian League at the time. And they had teams like Bari, I think FC Bari, or uh, and I'm not sure if Absa were in it, but there were other World of Store Red Stars and things like and teams like that. And yeah, there, there, there was an, uh, an early adaption of London Absa, it was Alice and There you go. So, yeah, so you know more yeah. than I do. So um, and I've yeah. heard stories and how, how the, in, there were teams like Newark, Beaumont, or I don't know, Shadwell, and they were struggling to compete against the likes of, you know, um, I don't know, Brazy and. Absa and Ahlison, like you said, and they were they were not winning the league. Basically, they were, they were middle of the table, bottom of the table. So, 1996, the the, uh, the heart of the best Bangladeshi football league, they came together. They went on a tour to Bangladesh, and they they called the team Sporting Bengal, and they went out there. They played friendlies. They played a game against the, I think it was the Bangladesh under 21 side or something. Did really well. When they came back, they thought to themselves, you know what? Why don't we just keep this team? This team basically was the best Bangladeshi footballers from Tower Hamlets. So rather than having eight teams trying to compete for the league and not having any luck, why don't we just have one team, the best players, and um, we'll go there and we'll see how we get on. And I think it worked for them. When Sporting Bengal entered, Z, you correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, they, you know, they, they won the league concept. They did really well once they set up and as, a, as a, a unity come together. Um, and, and that's where really Sporting Bengal and B, I think BFA came after Sporting Bengal. Um, I think that's when they set up their own summer league and the winter league. And the idea being that you know you can have eight. I think they had eight teams. They were founder clubs. There were about eight or ten. 
and they took the best players from the eight to ten clubs to make sport in Bengal. Um, and they spent a few years in the Asian League in East London. And from there, they went on to play in the Intermediate League, the Middlesex Leagues, etc. Um, and then really fought for um, senior status. I think a lot was going on at the time with Beaumont, who were playing at Mile End Stadium. Um, again, you will probably know more to the history than I will, but uh, no bits and bats. And Sporting Bengal was trying to get access to, to Mile End. Eventually, through a lot of lobbying, through a lot of uh, working together with the local council, etc., they managed to get hold of Myland Stadium, and they were given. I think it was a Kent League that took them on in 2002, 2003, uh, and and they become a semi-pro football team or a, or a, a step five football club, um, part of the non-league setup, and that's where it really all started. The journey for their senior football started back then, but the the ethos of Sporting Bengal and the reason it was set up was to give young local Bangladeshi footballers the opportunity to play in initially in a mainstream football and at a good level and then obviously over the years that kind of evolved into the non-league setup and senior football and to take and as 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 Bangladesh football organization which is now sporting foundation grew um, they had their own winter league they had their own summer league the summer league was pretty much focused to to kind of uh, identify players who would be good enough to go and play for sporting Bengal uh, and, and that's where I guess the journey of Sporting Bengal, where it originated from and why they set it up. Um, it hasn't, it kind of has moved on a little bit and, it, and the purpose has changed a little bit. But ultimately, the goal is always to give local kids the opportunity. Those kids that possibly wouldn't be given that opportunity at other clubs for X, Y and Z reasons, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. And um, but like I said, the main thing. In my, the, what I love about this club is, is, is exactly that. Are we able to find that odd John gem and can he at least play and, and, and compete at step five level? He might not be good enough to go and play pro or can he, you know, play at step five or move on to go and play step three, step four, step two, you know, whatever it is. But it's, it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility at the moment to try to identify these kids. Ideally, they would be of Asian background, but, you know, We'll, again, we'll come to talk about it, I'm sure, but there is a, a real, real shortage of, um, you know, uh, kids who have the ability and, and to play at non-league level um, for whatever reason. And this is a question I ask myself a lot. And, you know, there's obviously solutions that we need to come, we when need you, to talk about. When you about say there's probably... a shortage of kids being able to play, um, yeah. sorry, do you, do you mind expanding on that? I'm not sure what you mean by that, as in what so basically, you talking look, about? Let me, and... let me, let me, let me, let me, let me be very frank with you, right? So in Tower Hamlets, we have close to 40, 40 Sunday league football teams. Close to 40, right? Whether they play seven or seven, but there's 40. So let's say for argument's sake, we've got 30, 30 Asian-run football clubs, right? Bangladeshi, predominantly Bangladeshi, because we're in Tower Hamlets. I struggle, after five years, I'm struggling to find a regular Good enough. I'm not just. I'm not saying talk and gestures. Good enough Asian kids or Bangladeshi kids to play for Sporting Bengal week in, week out, and compete. And and that's the issue. They 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 look amazing on a Sunday in their local community Sunday leagues, and that's another issue in itself. With Z, I know he has talked to death about. And um, but they, when you put them, you could find the best Sunday footballer from his team or from that community side, put them onto a pitch on a Saturday or a midweek at Mile End, and it's like they don't even know how to walk, let alone kick a football. 
that's we're talking. That's how bad it is. So and is that? Do you think? Are we, are we talking over? Are we talking over? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about men's football. We're talking about yeah. adult football over eighteens. Yeah. I, I, I've been yeah. even, even, even. I would go as far to say I can only talk about Tower Hamlets. I can only talk about Tower Hamlets and the Bangladeshi community. Um, Sporting Bengal has been running the academy since two thousand and eleven. How many Bangladeshi kids have we been able to identify who have been good enough to go? And get a contract for a local professional club. I can't think of any. From from the setup that I had, we had three kids that went for trials. We had one kid that signed was nearly signed at Dagenham and Redbridge, and that was the closest we got in my nine years. From and that's from the Sporting Bengal setup. So and there's a adult football. Like I say, I know more about the adult football from East London perspective, from a Tower Hamlets perspective. Um, the kids' football is, is, is again, it's, it's a big issue. It's a real big issue uh, in Tower Hamlets in particular. And one of the reasons I also think is, I think there's a lack of quality coaching, good coaching. I think if you start introducing good coaching to these, even kids who are, you know, if we're talking about nine, 10, 10 year old, eight, nine, 10 year olds, okay, who have the ability, who are, who are genuinely, who are good, even within their schools and within now you throw in there an experienced coach, a good coach, not just a coach because he's got a badge, but a good coach. That's the next step. And I've been trying to get this through. But one of the one of the biggest issues we have is is finances. It's- Do you think um so just just thinking back back to my time of uh, my kind of experience of football in Tower Hamlets? Like my first exposure was for one of my best mates. He played for Newark back in the day, and they're quite dominant. What's his name? Uh, when we were at 50- so It's a guy called Sawa Alam. Now his brothers are part of Wapping now. Oh, no, uh, Wapping, you Wapping is. Oh, Sawa, how old is yeah. he? He's my, he's my age. He's 36. Okay, no, no, I've had that time. Yeah, he probably is, it would have been before your time. Yeah. He, was, he was playing when we were at college. Yeah. Uh, for, for Newark. Newark. He played Just with, like, to give people a bit, Newark is probably one of the most established clubs in Tower Hamlets. Uh, grassroots yeah, level, what, yeah. They've got a brilliant youth setup. They do some great youth work in the area as well. Yeah, so they're a proper organisation. And we're, we're talking about the early two thousands here. Yeah. So I went to college in the turn of the century. Yeah, two thousand one. And he played with the likes of Prince and Nana. And these are like some oh, of the late, kind of yeah, legends of sporting Bengal back in the day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So and also they got um, a couple of the uh, Monu and a few others. But um, what when I started reporting, when I started. Uh, when I joined Eastern I was like mid-2000s, so 2006. And at that point, Sporting and both APSA were the stories I was following because that was around the time, 2003 was about the time they both went into senior league football mm-hmm. from playing Sunday and intermediate leagues to actually jumping into the football pyramid. And in 2005, they both played in the FA Cup for the first time as well. So that's where that peak interest was happening. There was like, there was kind of upward trajectory mm. at that time. So 2003 was its entry into senior league Two years later, now playing in the FA Cup, that extra at the very beginning of it with the extra preliminary round, right? So that's in July, August. This is July time that they're playing when everyone else is in pre-season. You're playing in that early stage of the FA Cup, which for me is a great stage to play. I always wanted to play that stage. I always wanted to have on my CV somewhere that I played in the FA Cup. Didn't matter which round. And I did try out for a couple of teams. It didn't quite work out, but it is what it yeah. is. So I was like always in awe of these teams and playing. I go watch them play and Sport we were playing at Mile End at the time, and then a couple of years later, you mentioned Beaumont. So Beaumont then became a senior team as well, and it was weird because 
So Sporting Bengal, even though they're predominantly north of the river in terms of London, like the River Thames, you got the north and the south side, right? They had to go and play in the Kent Premier Division. And then when London APSA joined Senior League Football, they were playing in the Essex Senior League, which was the north side of the river. So that was a bit more close in proximity and vicinity of where they were. And then Beaumont joined and they played in the Essex Senior League as well. And then there was these two teams. And then I think what happened, there was a merger, wasn't it, between the Sporting Bengal team and the Beaumont senior yeah, team. that's right. Um, and I, I really, really got interested when Mamun Chowdhury became the manager of Sporting. And I think that was 2007, 2008, because before then they were, they were they had a white manager, but now we had like an, an Asian manager of a senior league team, which for us was another stepping stone up. Because we're starting to get, in, in terms of how football was in the mid-2000s, that's we started to see pro footballers at clubs. We had the likes of Anwar Din, who was at, uh, at Dagnan Redby at the time, he was their captain. You had Zesh Roman, who was playing, Adnan Ahmed, Mark Chopra. So there's some pockets of visibility now at pro. And then in semi-pro, we had the teams, and then now we had someone in management. So for me, it was like, that was the perfect step. And then APSA had then had Zaki. Zaki saying come in and he's got his uh, own story in terms of his, his journey in football as well. I'm sure you know him. Mm. Um, so he started seeing these really, really nice like stories come out and now these journeys and you're really interested. And following Mamun, it was uh, Anwar uh, who became manager at uh, Sporting Bengal. There's another stepping stone up. So the ex-pro is now coming to be an, insp- an inspiration to our communities already, especially to the Bangladeshi community since he grew up in Stepney, mm. which is in Tower Hamlets. And now he's the manager of the senior team, which is the representative team of, of the local community. So things started to look in a good direction, isn't it? And I think that's when you came in and you were doing the academy and there's a, a fusion, wasn't yeah. there? My question is, was there a, a fusion with all the teams that are part of the BFA as well that they knew what Sporting represented to then basically... Great question. Because basically all these teams are basically your resources, do you know what I mean? It's like, imagine you've got an England yeah. national team, right? The England national team is your representative of the nation yeah. and all the clubs are yeah. the, the providers of the talent to the national team. And that's, that's how I saw Sporting that's as, that's as the cool. representative and then the teams Perfect. to be the, the, the conveyor belt upwards, right? Was there that fusion though? Um, because I don't, I don't see it now. But there wasn't, at the time, I wasn't. sort of saw pockets of yeah, it. No. There were some pockets, yeah. but it didn't seem like it's something I that continued. This or was always could have been done better. Yeah, this was always the the aspiration was that um, that within the community you'd have the the summer league, and obviously you've got the Asian managers Mamun, and, uh, and then leading on to that was was Anwar. But I think as an organisation, their vision was to have, like you said, uh, kind of a feeder. The, the Sunday league clubs would be a feeder into the Sporting Bengal setup. Because Sporting Bengal never had the budget to go away. And, and let's be honest, not many, you know, one of your experienced non-league footballers are not going to choose to come and play for Sporting Bengal unless you were going to pay them good money. So that was always not, a, a, you know, never an option. So it was the, the, the best option for, for the organisation was take the best players from the community. So, but I think the issue you had was um, the lack of buy-in over the years. Because you just mentioned Beaumont and and sporting they merged and then Mamun was obviously Bowman was his club you know and it still remained a Sunday league club so there was always going to be an element of his he has an, an interest in that and he always did have an interest that was that was only natural so what happened over the years was it just became Bowman and Spurt sporting 
kind of became within the community, became synonymous to be one thing. And this is where I think, I've looked back at history and I spoke to a lot of people. This is when, around that time when that murder happened, you probably lost over the, that period of time, two to three years time, in that window, you lost, you lost the minds and the hearts of youngsters. That's what I think. This is my conclusion. Now knowing what I, I see and or what I hear. And in that time, or that three to five years time when Mamun was there, like I said, Beaumont was sporting, sporting with Beaumont. That was the perception within the... Now, whether the organisation felt that or not, we could say, they could say, no, it's not. They're two different entities. But the footballers within the community always felt like this. If I'm playing for Newark, for example, or I'm playing for Shadwell, I haven't got a chance in hell to play for sporting, Bengal. And then the other, the other rumour was, the only way I could play for sporting Bengal is if I played for Beaumont. And this is the problem we had. So we lost, I think it was that five-year window where we lost, we lost the community and we lost the, the ideals that Sporting Bengal was based on. And you, you said it brilliantly. We should have got there because we had that progression. And Anwar came on board and we thought, and I felt, because I played a big part in bringing Anwar in, uh, you know, on board. And we needed change. And we needed someone who had, someone who had, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone who was a role model. Someone, you know, this guy was going to come in and make it professional this guy was going to come in and change things that's what i thought you know naive as as you like but that's what i so i was involved in the organization at that time i was vice chairman of Bangladesh football association for about three years four years um so i knew i kind of saw with uh, outside of looking in i knew what was needed um so I took it to the board we did what brought in and, and it was brilliant while it lasted but the problem we had because the damage if you like had already been done and in that time teams had then kind of grown and finances in Tower Hamlets is second to none. I've never seen any, I've never seen funding like I have in Tower Hamlets. Team had Sunday League teams had more budget than bloody Sporting Bengal. And that's the reality. I mean, they were, everybody had new tracksuits. Everybody, like I said, the 30, 40 clubs. Can you imagine that? And the players are getting brand new tracksuits, brand new kits every season. They're going away on a holiday with the club for a tour. You're not getting none of that at Sporting Bengal. So if I'm a local kid thinking, and then firstly I'm thinking, I want, yeah, I want to play for Sporting Bengal. It's a senior side. That's the ambition. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, hang on. I'm, I'm playing for Newark. What's the chance of me being able to get in um, when most of that team is made up of Beaumont? And the manager's not going to give up his uh, a, a player's spot for me because he needs him on the Sunday. This was the perception. And I remember when I moved here and I was playing in the Sunday, I saw it myself. And I, and I heard the stories myself. And that was, all, that was the biggest problem. And this is where we, we really, really messed up in my opinion, from being very, very frank. That's where we, we, there was that opportunity. And we, we, we should have, someone should have actually said, you know what, there, cannot, there can't be any links between a manager of Point Bengal and a Sunday league because it's going to totally, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be some, some issues. It's, it's one of them, it's a weird one, really, because if you think the previous manager before Marmon came from outside the network or the BFA organization, all of a sudden, like on the surface of it, or players would be able to progress into the sporting team from the Sunday to the Saturday team. And then a manager could come from this community as well. So from one of these teams, like obviously with the inner working of the politics and then yeah. you really look back in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But from the surface, I'm, when I was looking at it, I'm thinking, okay, that means there could be a potential other managers and coaches from within the other, I think at the time, like 30 teams set up, wasn't it? The BFA. 
So mum was an example. There could be another conveyor of talent, of management, of coaches, of players, everything coming through. And each, I know that each um, each team in the BFA still has its own, has its own identity. You know, you see the kids walking around Stepney, and you walk into local spy site, and everyone's wearing their Valens, yeah. bow top, and so like that. It's it kind of cool to see. Like you've never seen like a football environment mm. like it, on, especially on the weekend. You've I never seen. Yeah, I branding like yeah. that it wasn't like just guys just wearing bibs and and just getting the shirts from 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 sports direction like it was actually branded uniform mm. like sponsors as well yeah. so you're seeing that you're like there's a they're steeped in the football culture here like there's a subculture here just like if you went to any other town or city regardless of color you'd see these guys are football mad and it's a hotbed that's a perception right is there a chance to rectify some of those things because I know you say there are mistakes made but I think there are limitations in, in mindset because at that time sporting was always struggling at the bottom of the table in in, in uh, semi-pro football and there was suddenly stability they weren't that team that was always at the bottom they suddenly started to move up the league and I know we'll skip before we've got skip forward a few years in terms of your um your experience with sporting they've now become a, a solid mid-table team that could push higher up now, right? So you've kind of gone from whipping boys to a solid team in, in set five. So that's a kind of progress. Mm. And there's always there's always going to be mistakes made. There's always going to be limitations in, in, in a team's journey up, right? So now like, I want to talk about 2021. Is there a chance to go to all these teams now and see not so much... Um, see what mistakes are made but almost like an olive olive branch situation we say look right, what can we do now because ultimately is, what do you see us as and do some kind of rebranding okay, or like a, yeah. a change in thought process i would love that you know that's a loaded question that's like you could if if what you just said there if that could happen yeah. in tower hamlets the potential of a club like sport in bengal is exponential meaning it would go boom if everybody mm. came together and said, let's, do you know what, what Sporting Bengal was set up for initially? Why don't we actually do that? Why don't mm. clubs do that, but clubs work with the manager and work with the, with the club in synergy and say, right, here's a player, I've got a player, or, uh, but, and not hold back their players, but at the same time also be receptive to what Sporting Bengal is doing, but then financially, so if you look at if you look at if you look at the, the the whole place, you've got local businesses who are giving twice a year maybe two thousand pounds for equipment kit. What in Bengal struggle for sponsors? The reality is, if I'm very honest with you, the community, the local businesses, don't see the value of sport in Bengal. Mm-hmm. They don't see how big it is, the potential of it. If you look, just look at the numbers we get out of the game. Yeah, we get. 50, some games we might get 100. But majority of them are, are actually white non-league supporters. If you look at number, the number of Asian people actually coming to watch Sporting Bengal at Milan Stadium, supposedly in the heart of the biggest Bangladeshi community in the UK, of that 50 people coming to watch a game, 10 might be Asian. That's a problem in itself. If I tell you the reality is that we struggle to find sponsorships for a club like Sporting Bengal in the heart of Tower Hamlets. When you've said 30 to 40 local Asian teams who have no issues getting a new kit like that. We've got the Summer League coming up in May. Kid teams are already revealing the new kits. They have, they have, they have to do, they have events to 
reveal the kicks. This is how big yeah. it is. And I'm having to, you know, scrape, uh, you know, beg for, for a sponsor from, again, but I think it's a perception thing. Um, but I would love it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. If somehow we can do it, but the problem you have is, is the internal politics. You've got a couple of organizations and also the reality is the question I think the organizations need to ask themselves is, is it time for change within the organizations? Do we need young faces? Do we need mm. different ideas? And they definitely need to come together and say, right, okay, yeah, these are the issues we've had historically. Let's put that to a side now. Let's put a line in the sand. What can we do to now support our community and support Sporting Bengal to get to, let's say, from being a mid-table team to be a, initially a top six side and then from top six going to challenge for the league? That's where everybody should be going. That's where everybody should have their focus. But the problem mm. you have is, like I said, football is... Tower Hamlet's football is mad. Everybody's fighting for the same amount of money because not only do you have youth football, the reality, if I'm very honest, kids are not given the time of day in Tower Hamlet's when it comes to football. This is me being very, very frank now. When people see this, I'm probably going to get shot, but the reality is kid, no one gives a damn about the under-12s. It's all about adult football. Even adult football is getting it wrong. Vets football in East London now is ridiculous. The amount of money flying around by 35, 40, there's the 35 leagues, there's 40s leagues, there's 45 leagues. Believe it or not, there's a 50s league happening soon. And you do a tournament for over 45, you'll get 30 teams like that. It's literally everyone that played in the 90s yeah. still wants to continue playing, right? Yeah. And, that's, and, and, and just... the saddest thing of all is yeah. the kids that we're forgetting. Mm. It's the kids that are suffering. You put, you get a kids team. There's no one to manage this team. There's no one to coach these kids. You tell a 35 year old, a dad who's got a kid who's got a nine year old kid, an eight year old kid, he would give thirty pound to go to put towards a vets team, a vets league that he's going to play on on a Thursday night, rather than give his son five pounds to go and do a, a structured coaching session with a club like Newark or Balance or a sport. Why do you goal. think that is? Selfish. You know, most of them are still living, still, still think they're 21 and they're playing with their mates because it's as competitive. That is the reality. I've seen it firsthand. I've spoke to parents. They, they will say, we can't afford five pounds. Don't give me none of that. You can't afford five pounds and you're spending... I see you on a Thursday night at Vets League Football and I know for a fact every player is contributing at a minimum of 20 pounds a month. So you can do that. You can't give time for your child and make time for your child and contribute X amount for an hour, two hour sessions. Mostly, so, and to get in quality coaching, we, there is a big lack of coaching within Tower Hamlets. So for the kids, good, there, good I know, I know there are some some things in place. The FA's got a little bit of funding for coaching. We're going to be interviewing R- Rashid Abba soon as well, who's doing some or training up coaches in and around East London. Mm-hmm. Um, are you saying that? that on the whole there's no appetite for people to become coaches as opposed to there's issues sort of systemically in terms of the inability of people to become coaches i think can i answer that can i answer that question for imul does i don't think it's it's not an appetite there is an appetite for coaching there's always been an appetite for coaching uh when west ham had their uh, asian football project it was based at mile ends 
when he was one of the projects we're based on Milan is to get more uh, more youngsters trained up as coaches. It's not the appetite for coaching is what they're going to where they're going to be coaching and whether they're going to get paid for it. Because once you've got your qualification, what are you going to do with it? Right? There's no point having your level one, level two if you're not going to be given a team or some kind of um I, I guess sometimes people think that being a coach means that you're going to be a manager now and you should be given a team and given responsibility and you should be paid for it. Like there's a whole apprenticeship to do as well, as well as your coaching. Getting a badge is easy. Oh yeah. It, um, I, I, but you need somebody to add on to it as well. And I don't think sometimes pathways are clear of what's available. Like you can get a hundred people like like um coach uh, badged up, right? Level one, level two, youth module, whatever it is. What are they going to do with it? What's the next step? What's the after care for them? Like, who's going to guide them that this is what you do next? Like, Imru went from youth coaching, right, to then being involved in the organisation to then stepping up into the management role yeah. at Sporting. So that wasn't a clear pathway, but that was just an opportunity, exactly. opportunistic pathway that, had, that you took advantage yeah, of, Yeah, I was right? involved in the... In, involved in the so I saw Mamun's team as a player. So I played the odd games. I played two, three seasons with him. So I saw that. And then I became the secretary of the club. And that's when I brought in Anwar. And then I became a coach with Anwar set So I was able to experience what it was like. And it was a night and day difference between the two setups. And I saw what it really takes to manage a non-league club and the setups and what you need to do. Before that, you know, if you look at, you know, not to discredit any of the stuff that Mamu did, he did an amazing job for five seasons. But if you look at match day, for example, just small things, you know, rather than, I remember when, you know, with the odd game, I used to get the call from Mamu coming up. You were turning up to games away with nine players and five, ten minutes before kickoff. That was, you're a non-league football club. You know, you can't be doing stuff like that. Um, what, Anwar, what I learned from Anwar was the professionalism, you know, and you see that. And this is little things that you pick up. And, and I took that. And again, it's, it wasn't a clear pathway. It was something I chose. I wanted to do and I learned it through him. It's, no one said to me, well, this, is, this is a pathway for you. But it's just something I watched and I learned. And like anyone else, when I went for the interview, with, uh, there were six other candidates. Um, and these were guys who had the experience. But ultimately, I was given the opportunity because I saw what Anwar did. And I also I had the vision in terms of what I wanted from the community and, and what the club meant to the community and what it should mean to the community. And we lost our, we lost our kind of way away you know, for a couple of years. But I like to think we're slowly getting back there. But in terms of the coaches and going back to the question, I don't know, there's not a lack of coaches. There's, there's an appetite for coaches. There's, there's so many young co- good coaches out there. But the problem we've got is the community itself, whether they have the appetite to... To, to come out there and actually for parents to be paying because ultimately nothing is free. These kids have, you know, they're, they're, they're youngsters who have gone away. I can name loads of young coaches that are currently the level one, then they're doing the level twos, some thinking about going on to do it. But the problem is, it's their time. No one's going to do what I did. For six years, I did it voluntary for free. Six years, I might coach, I managed. Them days have gone. They're, they're gone. They're long gone. You will not see kids volunteering their time anymore for the community. It just will not happen. So you have to, and I don't blame them because there's money out there for it. But you, for good quality coaching, you have to, reality is you have to pay. And you get what you pay for, if you like. So you're getting these kids that are coming out of uh, a West Ham, let's say for argument's sake, a West Ham level one course. And they're coming thrown straight into a, straight into the deep end, let's say with Newark, with no mentors, with, with no one who's got any experience of, managing or coaching who's been there and done it 
they're they're just learning on the job and they're just going with it. But then on the flip side, that this then becomes their be all and end all. They don't know anything else. So I'm speaking from my experiences what I see in Tower Hamlets. The, these coaches, very few of them will then go away and think they think they've done it. So they've got a job with they've got a job with Newark. That's their pathway. And they've done it for them now. They're going to go through it, and their ultimate goal might be to manage new, uh, the newer, newer adult team. But in, they're not going to go out of their way to go and do, for example, what kids like Rudy or other young good coaches that I see out there who are who are going out there striving. They're going out of the way to meet different people, travel, pay money out of their own pocket to get, get experiences, learn. Um, and, and I think that's really that's for me. It's down to the individual. But in terms of why there's no, there's a lack of young talent, I personally think I'm going to put the blame at the parents within Tower Hamlets. I think parents should be and could be doing more. And then also there's an element of, uh, element of I guess, more that the local clubs, the likes of New York Valances that could be doing. They're great organisations, but I get the impression they're just doing it to provide a service. I'm not sure there is a clear pathway. Like, I'm not sure. You can't tell me there's not enough good, you know, you know out of 50 kids in Tower Hamlets who come to play football at Valence, for example, or even Sporting Bengal, there's not two kids in there that are good enough to play for an under, to, to, be, to have a trial at a Leighton Orient or a, or a Millwall or a West Ham and be given that six weeks and for them to, be sh- to, to shine. But the problem I see is because it, it's, it's so habitual, Everything, you know, they become part of the system and they don't know anything else. So they might win the Tower Hamlets Youth League and for them, that's, they get a nice trophy and they've got an award ceremony to go to and then that becomes their goal. And this continues. I'm not going to lie. Some of, those, some of those trophies and those award ceremonies, I've been to a few. They're amazing. Ah, oh, they're amazing. Hey, like the you won the Essex Senior Honestly. League. It's like... You won the Essex Senior League. You get on the day, the chairman or the secretary might come if you're lucky and give you a trophy and a mug and say, well done and that's it. Mate, you talk about ILFL, BF in Tower Hamlets, you have an all singing, all dancing, the mayor will come, the MPs will come, trophies are this big. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, man. It's nothing, I've not seen anything like it. And with the conversations people have about one of the reasons why Asians, there's a lack of Asians, is community postcode football. I know I've heard Z talk about it a lot. It still exists, man. It's still an issue. It's still something that we need to deal with. And and I've had this, I had this conversation on Saturday with a parent. I was going for a walk with my kids in the park and he was out there training his kid. And I got chatting with him. The kid looked really good. I said, okay, so what, you know, this, the kid looks really good. How old is he? Where is he playing? And he's telling me he's nine years old and uh, he's playing at this club. Great talent, blah, blah, blah. Said, so, so what's the next step for you? What are you going to do with him? I said, well, well you know, I'll let my coach decide. Uh, but I don't feel it being challenged. I said, if that's the case, then why are you not taking your son out of his comfort zone and go and put him into a, a mixed club? Get him, you know, you're doing the session. Why don't you pay £20 for a session and bring in a coach? There's plenty of opportunities. And I said, I can give you details. You go on, you know, social media is where it is. Find someone who's going to give your son a one-to-one se- sessions. And then the, the priority is get your son playing with mixed abilities and also away from his community. The, the sooner you get this sounds really harsh man and I get I get a lot of grief but because I say it but we have to get our kids our good talented kids the sooner we get them away from community football the better it is for them and we have to get them playing with their black and white counterparts 
Only then will they realise how good they are. Because I've seen it, man. The problem you've got, the biggest issue in Tower Hamlets is this post-scored football. They're happy winning the league with, with, with Newark and your Aberfeldies and your Bromleys. Forget, they have no aspirations to go and win the Essex in the league. They have no aspirations if you're, if you're, you know, the minute you get, like I said, it's a cycle. You put yourself into that cycle and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's horrible, man. I, I, it's very hard to get out of it. I, I will see it from two points of view, right? So the first one is, if all you wanted to do would be the best in your town, yes. right? No problem. There is a space for you. And that's the community league that's been set up. You know, man, have your jollies. Good 10, 15 years, play there, no problem. Get your trophies for your cabinet. Legend. And then be legend. satisfied. You're a legend. Yeah, but, but, but you, you should be satisfied yeah. with what you achieved yeah. because that was a level of your ambition. The minute you want to go higher, you cannot then say, I was not given an opportunity because you have to sometimes make the opportunity yeah. and you have to seek that opportunity from others. And I think right now in this social media world, like remember, I, we come from the analog world, right? The analog world is what you hear yeah. and what yeah. you see, yeah. right? Now we're in the digital world and there is no, I'm going to say it, there's no excuse None whatsoever. None. for information, for, for knowledge, to seek out, to contact people, to, to, I'm of the era where we, when I was trying to come through in journalism, I had to send paper letters in the post. Yeah, remember applying for jobs? With and my local paper was like 10 minutes down the road, but I had to send them a letter to the post. Now you can go online and find everything that you want and just do a mail blast to a thousand people in a minute. So the time it took me to write the letter, you can, it, things have become much more convenient. Um, I don't blame the youngins because they only know this world. We, we've seen a previous world and we thought, oh, they need to take opportunities, blah, 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 blah. They only know what they know up to the point, how, how old they are and what they've experienced. So I don't, like you said, the, the, the emphasis is on the, on the parental yeah. side as well, yeah. right? But there's another side to that as well is how do we convince the parents that these are good opportunities? How do you convince the child this is what you should do? Like if you said this year, Sporting us celebrating the 25th year as, a, as an organisation, so BFA and Sporting Bengala, the team is 25 years this year, isn't it? What have been, what would you say, if we're going to sell it now, right? Let's move on to the, the good stuff, right? What would you say were the key highlights and, and achievements of, of sporting, both as a team, but also players as well? Because you've had some players who've gone on to play in other leagues, uh, gone to play abroad, uh, try out for the national team in Bangladesh as well. Let's let's hear some of those. Yeah, kind of listen. Good points we, and we've successes. Talk, yeah, exactly. We've talked about the negative, why there's a lack of whatever. But at the same time, the reason I, I love, I, I, I knew of sporting bingo before I moved here, and it was always an aspiration. Not, I had never ever thought I'd be managing it, but just to be involved at the club was always an aspiration for me. And um, the work that they do is is, is second to none. I, I I still I still think it's a gem. And it's a, it's a rough diamond that still needs, and it needs the right people involved, and it needs for everybody to come together. And it still has the potential to, to rock it, if you like. Um, but if you look, you, you, touched on, you touched on the things. The number of Asian footballers from East London who have had the opportunity to play in the FA Cup, you said it. You would have loved to have that on your CV. I would have loved to have that on my CV, you know? And how many kids have played in the FA Cup who probably wouldn't have even dreamed of it? had it not been for a club like Sporting Bengal? How many kids would have played at step five had it not been for a club like Sporting Bengal? You know? Uh, how, then we talk about progress and development. We've had kids, Asian kids, that have come in through Sporting Bengal who have gone on to play at other clubs in Essex Senior League. That's a, that's, 
that's a plus in itself. For an Asian click to go and play for a club like Ilford, to go and play for a club like um, uh, Stansted, was unheard of. To go and play for a club like Clapton, never. But because of they've seen their abilities and you've played for Sporting Bengal and they've been noticed, you've, yeah, okay, so it's not a step three, but you're playing within a recognised step five club. That's an achievement. And in recent times, we've had, we've played the national team. We've had, you know, Shahed. We've had ex-pro footballers come and play at Sporting Bengal. We've had ex-pro managers. Um, you know, we've, 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 uh, we've gone and played national teams. So in Bangladesh, here in the UK, when they've come here, we've played them. And more recently, we've had the likes of Mahdi Khan, Sadiq Ahmed, Shahid Ahmed. They went out and trialled with the national side. Mahdi Khan very recently has gone and signed a pro contract out there with the biggest club currently, the Man City of Bangladesh, Bashandara Kings. And he's out there playing for them, uh, are involved in the squad. We're hoping that you know once he's out back from injury, he's probably going to be involved in the next Bangladesh national team setup. So that's a plus in itself. We're talking, I speak regularly with the national team manager, Jamie Day. So we've got that link. We have that relationship. I've got very good links with their agents who deal with the big clubs in Bangladesh. So there is a pathway and there is now a light at the end of the tunnel. So if, you, if you've got aspirations to play pro football, there's now another route. You might not be able to make it here. Guess what? You can go to Bangladesh and earn okay money. We're talking about, you know, £2,000 a month. That's decent for a league that lasts four months. That's not bad at all. Tax-free, you practically save everybody, you come back at the end of it. What more do you want? And so there is a pathway and there's a lot of good work that's happened to get us to this point. But, you know, I'm with Zima and I, I'm, we need to find a way where we can celebrate more success in the coming five to ten years and identify talent. And can we see, OK, let's, let's put aside the programme here. Forget about the guys from Sporting Bengal and Tower Hamlets and East London going to play in second division and premiership or whatever. Can we get find kids aged between 18 and 25, identify um, an Asian kid or, or, and say, right, okay, you've got on a pathway here to go and play pro in Bangladesh to earn a living. What do you think? That's got to be the next step for us now and say, really, okay, here, here we have a, a pathway for you. Uh, we need your buy-in. And I think that there is some, there's a big piece of work there that needs to be done and probably some work on my, on our, on my part and, and, and other people who, who can support it because we genuinely have a, an opportunity here to provide um, the, uh, the professional game to a lot of, if, if they want it, if they want it. We're not talking about parental support. Now it's up to the individual, the kid. So if you've got a 20-year-old kid who has the talent, does he, is he hungry enough to go out to Bangladesh and trial? We've had kids, I've, listen, on the flip side, I've had kids who have been brilliant. They've gone out there, but they cannot handle Bangladesh. They, the club was desperate. This kid would have literally walked into the national team. All he had to do was sign for that pro. That's all he needed to do, sign, and the next week he would have been in the national team squad. We're talking from 12 months ago. But he couldn't, he, he was literally, he went out of Bangladesh and he, he couldn't, two weeks he couldn't handle it. He was back. So that's the other problem. So, you know, um, there's path, the reality is there are passwords and it's a great, great, great story and opportunity. And I think over the next year, you're probably going to hear a bit more of it. Um, you know, we've got some, I'm working on something with Jamie at the moment, with Jamie Day, the national team. Um, so let's see, fingers crossed. Um, but I hope that's going to be a big eye-opener for a lot of the local kids. But the, the, the main, the biggest issue I have at the moment is just um, identifying these kids and 
uh, are they firstly are they there and secondly do they have the desire and is the one there that generation that you talked about in the 90s that you did a lot of work with you know Mamun's age group and Zach's Zach's players I know they're an absolute some amazing players if we had that generation now I think it'd be a different story I think the mindset with this generation is totally different to the mindset of the 90s and the early 2000s the kids that and the, the lads that were playing football then um, they probably weren't as talented at this bunch but they don't have the desire as that previous coach. And if we could get, kind of get a gel of the both, then I think we'd be in a good place. Um, but yeah. I, I think I think there's there's a gap. There was a gap because you mentioned APSA. Now they play like 10 minutes down the road for where I am. Old sporty dog, right? So I love watching them after. I'll play football in the morning and go watch them play in the afternoon in the senior. And you know about some of the players, right? Like at one point they were wiping teams out. These are predominantly white black teams and they're just playing them off the park like this is senior league football an absolute phenomenal football who, who there was one guy I heard a lot about. tell me what's his name again the midfielder there was the, the guy there was a guy called Titch that's the one yeah. like this guy was they, he's like a messy like the ball would not leave his feet and you could not tackle this guy they had Modakri as well solid centre forwards a couple of others was Zubi Halim uh, Zayn okay. and so so many players man like Literally, these are names, but what I found was there was a great team. They all came up together when they were young uns, right? They were teenagers. They came up together, kind of like the, the sporting story. They came together, put in together. Then they were progressing. But what the gap was, the talent underneath, or not even the talent. It's not about talent. It's more about the, the buy-in from the next generation, or they're not even thinking about to bring through the next generation. Let me generation. stop you there. That's a great point. So do you think it's... It was, they were so engrossed in that time, that five-year window. Let's say Sporting Bengal and Absa, there was such a rivalry at that time. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. years that you're talking about, it was like, that's all it was. No one else talked about it. It's a, it's a good yeah, time. It was, it was, it was a good time. And not just that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hotbed of talent that you talked about yeah. there. Here, here you had Shahed Ahmed, you had uh, Liton Zaman, Shiblumia, um, yeah, you know, Ahmed, you, know yeah. you had some exceptionally talented footballers. Yeah. I think, you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah, there was a big gap because the focus was so much on these two, on this generation that they forgot about the ones that were coming up behind them and no one gave them any time. See, I don't think they forgot. I don't think they were prepared as an organisation. Like, you know, organisation, you, you start a business, let's say you start a business and you start a department, you think, all right, cool, here's my idea of the service, but you need to have an accounting department. You need to think about your law department. You need to think about your, your marketing, your PRs. There's only these different departments, but you're like, no, I'm focused on my product. Yeah. And the product, yeah, yeah. product is the final 11 that plays on the pitch, right? That you know you need to have a youth set up. So you set up a youth team, but you you don't really have experience of setting up a youth, youth, organiza- a youth team or running organization. Like, that's what it is. Like, these, I don't think apps are at the time, and this is no disrespect to them at all, but I don't think they they created the organization. I agree with you. I think they, but it's they were fault. the team. Not, how would they know? It's not their fault. How would they know? Like, exactly. That's the thing. The, the guidance wasn't there. And then the gap is who is going to, once these guys turn into mid to late 20s, you need the 15, 16 yeah. to 20s yeah. to come through and the, the mix of youth and senior together. And that continues. The legacy continues. The name continues. And I think that's purely down to a limitation of knowledge. Yeah. And that's all hindsight we're talking about. I would never, ever... I was on a podcast last year talking about it and it might have upset a couple of people, but there was no way a criticism of them. It was just an acknowledgement that hindsight's a great yeah. thing. 
Agreed. And if we could go back at least 10 years, like that 2010, 2011 period, we could say, right, now think about the organisation, like build, build, build the systems in place that's going to continue this name coming yeah. through. Um, learn from other clubs and how they've done it. And they could be knowledge sharing, even though sport, uh, sport and, and APSA in East London were the two big ones, right? They, I know people don't like work together, but there could have been knowledge sharing off the field. Like on the pitch, rivalry is awesome. Off the pitch, there could have been knowledge sharing. Yeah, I think I, um, I, it, being this age now, I think we were all like that in our 20s. We've all had that kind of, or at least when I was in my 20s, we all had that now, but I want to work with people that I want to work with and then I don't want to work with everyone. I think, and I yeah, think, I think if you were to, hind, like you said, hindsight, if you were to now get this group of people together now and say, right, yeah. in hindsight, do you think, and ask them that question, it'd be amazing to hear what their response is. Those people involved within the club, not the management, but with the club the, the, that in the background, get them together and say, right, what, were, what was your thinking at that time? And say, like, would you have, what would you have done different if you could go back 10 years I, that would be an amazing conversation because I think you're right because that's because of that gap we are where we are right now but the way I see it is what can we do now let's, yeah, let's just yeah, forget yeah. about it I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I know a few can jump in as well but I don't think all is lost no I don't right because in 2021 we've had a year where we've all been in introspection we've all been indoors we've not been on the pitch been thinking about a lot of things and done We've done the kind of we've had the kind of conversation which had gone deeper because I had more time, right? I mean, me and you have spoken. We were speaking last summer quite a bit, and um, it all come down to at this point, what have we achieved? And we can't, we cannot, um, we cannot forget about the achievement to get to this no. point, right? That, and we cannot. That, that journey is so important. I think the, the generation right important. need to know how you got here, how this, how the clubs yeah. got here, how how did we. How did I get to be here? It wouldn't. It, I wouldn't yeah. be here if it wasn't for the work that went on for the last twenty-five years. Yeah, and I, I, I think kind of if you want to think blue sky thinking, or you want to think ah oh, in, re- in a in a really nice kind of positive world, but you have to pay respect to every organisation that has. Even when we're talking about say specifically BFA and Tower Hamlets, you pay respect to every organisation that's still standing right now in football, that they played a part with making sure when people look at uh, uh, Tower Hamlets, they're like, this this hotbed of football here. Like, you, you'd be hard-pressed to book a pitch in, in Mile End or Stepney or any places like that because everyone's playing every single minute of the day. Where they, and even when you think about Vets League, right, that means that the interest and passion for the game is still there. Now, we just have to be, we acknowledge that, honour that, respect that, and then you go, okay, cool. So what do we bring to the table now? Like, what do you want to see? What, what does it look like? I know what the issue is. We talk, we've got adult football, yeah. which isn't great. You have vets football, which is thriving. 50 teams yeah. playing a vets football on the 35 on a Thursday night. 50 teams from Tower Hamlets. Like, let's say that. Seven <laughs> aside, right? 50 teams over 35. Five leagues of 10. That is... Un- Where would you see that anywhere in the UK? Asian footballers. Of which, of them 50, 40 teams, 40 teams are all Asian. The likes of APSA, they're playing on it. Walden Store Red, you go there on a Thursday night, you will see all the old crew. You just talked about um, Dakery, more Dakery. He's playing there on a Thursday night, rolling back the years, yeah. you know? So it's there. So, But the problem, we're missing a trick. We're leaving behind the kids. No one is 
pay yeah. any attention to the most important group. The kids, those are under. Yeah. So yeah. I don't care what anyone tells. Me, that should be the priority. That should be and is the priority. Sounds to me. Look, listen from the outside. Listen, I've learned lots about sport in Bengal. I think I used to play against early uh, itinerants of sport in Bengal. Way probably ninety one, ninety two, um, and they would have morphed into that. And. What I didn't realise was the the kind of structure that's there. It's almost like a pyramid structure just within Tower Hamlets. Um, but the trouble you've got then is we've talked about football knowledge, and I think this is a massive thing that isn't disseminated amongst people. People don't know how football works. Like they only know what they know, mm-hmm. and that's it. They don't know where they can go. You mentioned mentoring, so you almost need someone from the outside to come in and. To create, I don't know if it's an organisation or create a roadshow, a little bit like the FA are doing, but just specifically for Tower Hamlets and kind of say, this is, look, you've achieved some great things in the past, etc. In terms of the roadmap for the future, where it's where it's going to go, because it almost seems like, because we, listen, we hear, we've heard stats such as there are more, Bangladeshis and Pakistani kids play football than any other ethnicity in the UK. We also know about, I guess, a little bit about poverty, especially in Tower Hamlets, one of the poorest boroughs in terms of gross income, etc. But you're telling me something different. You're telling me something that I've never heard before, that it's not so much that people can't afford football or people uh, are so focused on their lives and survival. It's there's a passion for football, but that passion is just insular, yeah. and it does, it's not doesn't spread out to the community in terms of enhancing the community, and within that would be the kids as well. So yeah. the, qu- the question I've got for you in that is, how much of that, how much of these issues are recognised? But let's let's take the FA. The FA are in charge of grassroots football in the UK. Yep. Um, so we're not talking about the professional clubs. We're not talking about them trying to get academies, etc. But you're saying there's money there. There's a hotbed of interest there. What's going on in terms of someone making that constructive? Great question. Again, uh, again, what Z mentioned as well. I think the, the issue we have, and uh, I've had this conversation with Z as well already before, about it's there's so many different organisations whose and everybody's trying to do the same thing. So I think just bringing these organizations together, that would be the start. Secondly is, I think, thinking outside the box. And, and maybe do, does someone like the FA or um, a county FA need to come in and work with the organizations and set up a, a discussion, a panel, and say, right, okay, these are the issues. This is what we're hearing. What do you What do you see as being the barriers, in your opinion, as to why we can't get to where we need to get with the Asian football community? I, I would flip the conversation. I'll say, what does what does best practice look like? Well, so we talk about barriers yeah, all the time, yeah. right? Let me let in me any walk of life, right? Any industry see, barriers will always see, be there. So I'm, I'd be interested. See, sorry, let me sorry, let me just stop ahead. you for a second there. The something which. I've got out of this is that there are different goals for people. 
Like whatever yeah. the FA's goals are, the FA's yeah. goals is participation yeah. on yeah. a grassroots yeah. level. They want people to play football. In Tower Hamlets, that's happening. It's not a failure. Oh, is it? That's is it? it. Like oh. it. It's unbelievable. Right? Um, and then for me, and this podcast, we've always talked about why aren't there more Asians both playing football, but also half of that is why aren't there more professional footballers, more Asian fo- professional footballers? And what you've just said, Imro, is, look, rather than that, I can get Asians that are talented from Tower Hamlets, I can get them playing professional football in Bangladesh. That's three completely different aims that have been discussed already. Does it, so, Z, I just wanted to throw that at you before you did your answer. Yeah. To be honest, that, that goes along with what my answer is. It's like, what do you think is an end goal? Yeah. Or what do you think is best practice or what is the pathway that should be taken? Because I think every time, you talk about the FA, when the FA go into, when they did a consultation, their consultation is different. It's not, it's kind of, they, they, they go to eight different locations around UK, right? And there's a reason for that is to go to the most, um, populated you, you call areas. it hotbeds. Yeah. Exactly, highly populated Asian areas, right? To get an opinion on what's happening in the scene. What doesn't transpire from that is what are the local requirements? You get on around trying to say, like, if they go for Leicester, there's two established teams in Leicester called Leicester Nirvana and GNG Leicester, right? And you look at someone like GNG Leicester, like, their setup is phenomenal. So you can't go to them and say there's an issue with grassroots football when you've got an organization that's got its own pitches and its own structure, right? So the, the nuances for each community that they go into is different. Now, I think it does come down to when you, I put it nicely, right? He said there's too many goals here and everyone's fighting for their own goals. What is your goal? Do you know what I mean? Like you'd have to strip away everything. Forget the barriers. What if there was no barriers and no restrictions in place? What does an end goal look like to you, right? And, and you then would reverse get, engineer you, you that. Would get and different answers. This is the reality. Lovely. Yeah. And that's that's great because what you're getting there is level of ambition. Yeah. Like I'd be like, I want to have a team that's playing the Premier League in 25 years. Right? How are we going to achieve that? You work backwards on that one. We're like, we just want to be the best in Tower Hamlets. Awesome. There's your pathway. Go run with it. You have to let people. You can't. You can't bring people together in a um, happy family way. You have to say what is your happy, and what is your end goal, mm-hmm. and then you go run with that. And you have to be satisfied with that because you've laid your level of ambition. We always talk about barriers and 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 restrictions and things like that. We never actually ask, what do you want? What would you like to happen? And then reverse engineer. It's like when you go to any big organization, you've got to go. As or we're going to do a project launch, what do we want the product to be at the end? And then we'll reverse engineer it to the point where we where our starting point is going to be. You can't start from somewhere and then push upwards. You have to sometimes think the other way around. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like if we said for sporting, they're playing the FA Cup, we want to get to first round proper. What do you require for that? You're going to need funding, you're going to need a talent pool, you're going to, you get what I'm trying to say, you then start to break down the elements. I think that that is the conversation. That's with everyone that we speak to and every organization community when it comes to the south asian kind of conundrum it has to be what is your happy what is your idea of an end goal and then how does that marry with someone else then you can start marrying people together because ultimately if you're trying to bring everyone together and everyone's got 50 different ideas you will not achieve anything because there's going to be differences of how we go approach it but if you go right let's then break down these people and say right cool you go there because you're you're very regional 
that's fine. Run with it. And we're going to support whatever way that's possible. You're thinking national. You're thinking international. You start pickpocketing. You didn't have the right people talking to the right yeah, people. Yeah. And then you know, when they say that the people that you hang out with is your net worth, then let our net worth be according to the goals that we have. And that's that's how I've always seen it. And, that's, and that's, that makes sense. Well, I've taken this... Yeah platform to say this so it goes public and say right cool now you can you I'll let people come at me no problem but that's what my thought process is at the moment okay so the question from for me to you i'm curious because you've been involved in this east london political scene and you've seen it first time from the 90s and you followed it all the way through to right now 2021 what in your in your opinion and be honest you're going to get a lot of grief for this what's the solutions happy to, to What's the solutions to resolve the issues that we face in Tower Hamlets? The issues that you face, it depends which one we're talking we're about. We're talking very, about very the footballing community. So in Tower if Hamlets, I was going to say grassroots, why, say, what, for example, the lack of let's just take the, the biggest one. I'll, I'll, the lack I'll, of young take, footballers yeah. coming through the, the system within Tower Hamlets. How do we handle that? What 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 do you see as a problem? So I will go very simply and I'll say, for, I'll flip that slightly and say, right, if Sporting Bengal is a representative team of Tower Hamlets and they're playing Essex Senior and no other team right now in Tower Hamlets is playing at that level, then that means that's the best team in the, in the league. Do you guys believe that? And I go to every single person in every organisation and say, is that what you, what is your, what do you think when I say Sporting Bengal? What's your opinion? Be honest. Be brutal. Be honest. What is it? Do you see them as the representative team or not if not are you the representative team or not and if you are what are you doing about it then because you can coach and be winning the um the local the, 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 the safety neighborhood yeah. league <laughs> and stuff like that right yeah. but that's not only that's not going to go far enough mm. so that means you'll only ever be the best in your like you said a postcode right but if they're the best team and you think you're better than them that's not reflective in your league position or the league that you're playing in. So it's almost like an introspection. Let me let me see what you think of Sporting Bengal. And if that's not the game, what would you want them to be? And what would what would make you want to be attached with them to provide a pathway for your young players to feed into that club to play higher? But that's a, that's that's the starting point. Fair enough. That, that would be my starting point. I, I'd ask every team that. I'll ask every person that. Because ultimately, you need to know what they think of you. Okay. They're, everyone's got whispers and rumours and you hear things. Put it out there on the team. We're, we're, old, we're old enough yeah. now, isn't it? Just say, I don't think this is the right team for yeah. representing our organisation. Then you go, why? Then, then you go deeper into the conversation and you let it be open. Like we're speaking openly here, you have to then just, the first conversation is not the resolution. The first conversation is literally put everything on the table, no structure. We've got two questions we want you to answer. And that's it. Then you lay it down and go, right, cool. Then you come back and say, right. Then you have to start breaking down the conversation and get to a happy medium. Because I think there's a lot of pent-up frustration. Everyone's frustrated. We, we're frustrated about the conversation that happened around Asian football. But I always go back and say, what kind of conversations are happening? Are they quality conversations? Like you, me and you can be going, oh, there's no Asian footballers. Five years later, there's still no Asian footballers. And 10 years later, there's no quality in our conversation right there. We're saying the same thing, but we're not actually saying anything. Right? So you have to go back to, I, I would think, 
big ambition. What is everyone's? What does everyone's happy look like? Then the other side is, what is your opinion on this? Be brutally honest. Could you ever see yourself working with them? And then you'd have to kind of do mediation. I think mediation is required because, come on, look, we're, we're talking about systemic racism, discrimination that's been deep rooted for centuries. And we're trying to break that down in society. That's going to take some time. In, in this case, we probably could work it quicker because the time frame has been short, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In terms of what, if there is any kind of animosity or any, any disagreements, whatever, let's just lay on the table. Look, what are we doing this for? What is our ambition? Then, then you, that's your starting point. And then after that, we're not saying everyone has to be happy with each other. That's fine. If you just want to um, have connections where it's purely business, then let it be purely business. Just lay your cards on the table and say, you know what, I'd work with you to achieve a common goal, but we're not mates. No problem. That's cool. I don't have a problem with that. We we need to be happy. Mm. We need to be happy with what we're trying to achieve. I don't want to go, oh, yeah, me and Umar, we're going to work together. And I'm like, I don't really like the way he thinks, though. I don't really like what he's doing with the team. Then you shouldn't work together. If you're going to have that, don't work together. But if I said, I don't like Imo as a person, <laughs> I'm saying I do, but I do like you. But if I say, I don't like Imo as a person, but I know he's got a pathway that can lead players to play in the Bangladesh Premier League. And they can earn a good wage out there. I got good talent. I'm like, Imo, I got players. I'm handing it to you because I know you can help them on this pathway. We're not going to have a cup of tea together, but I know what purpose you can you can provide. And I'm going to be selfish. I'm using you in a positively selfish way. I've got these young players. Are they good enough? Take them on the pathway. Boom. Yeah. Nothing wrong that- with that. Okay. There's plenty more, but I don't think we've got the no, time. Right we now to no, we haven't. Okay. Yeah. So, Apple, what's, what's, your, what's your next question, sir? Let's well, move on. You know, I was thinking, you know what, we've talked a lot. This the last hour and a half, it's turned into discussion about Tower Hamlets football, which I've got yeah. no problem with. I'm thinking we do this as a two parter because my brain's frazzled as well from listening to you two at the moment. <laughs> Mate, it's, it's, you've never seen anything like it, I'm telling you. It's so, a massive. I don't know how you guys think, but I because it now seems a little. I still like to know about your you and your journey as well, and talk more about sporting Bengals experiences in the outside world of Tower Hamlets playing football. Yeah, um, I don't really know how to segue into that right now. Um, so I don't know. Do you guys would you guys have a problem with us arranging another time and recording again? And I'll. Yeah, not a problem. That was a two-parter. I think it kind of makes sense to the way the yeah. conversation's gone. Yeah. No, I'm happy to do that. That's Why not a problem. That's not a problem. Z, because I think the reality is this conversation was needed because, like, Z, you know, he wants to get yeah, off no, his chest. It's, because no, I'm telling Z, you, it's a, it's a... You did. Well, and look, for me, from the outside, it's been fascinating because it's something different to what the beliefs I had. in Taham, it's down the road, man. I used to play with some of these teams that you've mentioned like I said, early 90s. Yeah, I've recognised all of those names. Um, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've heard of those. I used to play against them, I used to play against them, I used to play against them. Um, and obviously, they've then gone on. And the team I used to play for, we had conversations about with other people about, let's start an Asian league. And it, then I went off to university and it didn't quite happen. But then I came back and I played a couple of times for a couple of teams against some of these teams, etc. But... Um, but like I said, what I thought I knew about Tower Hamlets football and what you've told me today, 
It's completely different. And I've never heard this from the people we've spoken about, we've spoken to, sorry, and we've spoken to people at the FA, all kinds of organisations. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't think you'd get. I don't think you get that kind of information from organisations, really, because if you're a national organisation, how much are you going about the nuances or the intricacies within each location? That's not going to happen unless you're embedded within, right? But I think if we're going to conclude today, I'd say football. There's a huge appetite for football from your kid to your vet to your fifty year old who still wants to play. Now that's a positive. Because we're talking about, uh, there, was a, there was a seminar today that Sporting in Calls ran about, um, I can't exactly remember what top of my head what it was about, I'm aware of it, but they did mention about participation. Now, if you talk about participation, if you're talking about this, there's this individuals involved from kids to vets age playing football throughout those age groups, and participation is not the issue. So we've got a positive there, that they're keeping active, they're staying involved in the game, they've got this appetite for what we call a beautiful game, right? And that's all that all exists now. It's all about where are those gaps that we need to plug, and and, and it's just the, the honest conversations, really. I think being having had the year that we've had, uh, these conversations are only going to happen. We've got more time, we've got more energy to talk about it than because we're not playing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, we will be exerting this energy on and, the. And pitch. you know what, Z? Who knows? There might even be an appetite to actually find a solution and say work together. Because everybody's had a different I think perspective, everybody's, had, everybody's got a different perspective. We all value what we didn't have, you know, or what we do have now. Yeah. Everybody's lost someone. Everybody's been through something over the last year. Hopefully people's yeah. mindsets and, and have changed and might be, it might be the perfect opportunity now to maybe have that discussion. And who knows, this, this podcast might even start it off. I think, who knows? I think we're going to get a lot of backlash. That's the reality for it. My DMs are open, so it's yeah, fine. Cool. Um, I'm, uh, it's, backlash isn't the problem. I think the problem is when we think about backlash is someone's going to get something off their chest and give them a platform to speak. Yeah. But don't be abusive, but give me, I'll give you a platform to speak because I might not have heard that point of view. Just like Apu said, his understanding of Tower Hamlets has increased in his last hour or so than he has previously. And that's a good thing. So I might be able to, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm still hearing things and I'm still happy to talk to people. And whenever, you know, Apu brings a guest on, I just want to know more about certain objectives that they have and just think, can that be applied somewhere else? Because I'm always thinking, trying to be solutions based and whether that's long term or short term, because ultimately it's nice hearing about journeys and everything, but we also yeah. got to prep the next generation as well. And when I see that you're young and that your role plays for, for the sporting team as well. We only really, like touched upon that. That's another generation playing that, that that's that's a family dynasty now playing senior league football, mm. right? Um and that's a good thing. They're positives that we should talk about and celebrate as alongside the kind of issues. But when when we keep saying there's issues, there's barriers, all it ends up being is a very one-sided, yeah. almost negative conversation. I'd rather be balanced. Yes, that I agree. That's that's the thing. I think now when we're having these discussions, if we're gonna talk barriers, let's talk solutions. I think that is happening. And successes, and successes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's definitely, I love that. I love the fact that we, I very rarely get asked about successes, if I'm being very honest with you. Like, I've not, I've not spoke about Mahdi. The guy is playing pro football in Bangladesh for the best Bangladeshi football yeah. team currently, who... Are, he played else, didn't he play in somewhere He went, he went to Norway, football? he went out there, but this yeah. guy's got the hunger, the appetite. We talk about the lack, you know, this, this generation, but 
He's hungry. He's gone out so of his way. How, how did he make it and others haven't? Because you've you've talked about the lack yeah, of what? quality coaching, etc. So the kids aren't coming through, but this kid has. So what's been, uh, his what's appetite. been different in his journey? His personal appetite. appetite. Yeah. Why isn't his appetite amongst the kids? Surely they've got the teams that they support, the West Ham's, Liverpool's, May United's, etc. Um, do they not want to? I like how you feel ah, West Ham in there, right? <laughs> I'm hoping they are the closest team to there. Um, yeah. So is there not a desire in, in them to develop into that? Or is it, does that get, because they're not coached and they, do they just feel that they haven't got that level and then the community side of it takes over? What happens? I, I think with sporting, it's a, it's a different thing. So Mardi kind of not a Tower Hamlets boy. He grew up in and around Tower Hamlets, based, he's based around, lives in the Redbridge area. Um, but he kind of, again, it's a different story. You, where, where I found in the, in the two or three kids in my time, Bengali kids that I found that have the appetite and the desire, if I'm being frankly honest, these are kids that have come from outside of Tower Hamlets. They grew up in a mixed environment. They've played football, structured football with a mixed team. And they see what it takes and they have that drive in them because they've had to fight for their their place with the football team from a young age against mm. someone who looks different to them. But they have that. They know they have the ability, but now it's about the opportunity. So the reality is Mardi came to me and wanted to play for sporting because he knew I could open doors for him. I'm being very frank. He was at Leatherhead under 23s before he came to sporting. You know, he had, it was opportunity for him to go, go there. He went and tried. He was playing at Eton Manor when he was 17 years old in the Essex Senior League. He, he was playing for, you know, involved at Barking. And then he obviously had a conversation when he came. And the reason, the reality is we talked about, be honest. He came to me because he wanted to go and play. I could give him a, a, a pathway to Bangladesh. And in that time, he'd been to Spain. He'd been to Norway. And he made it in Norway, got into a second division football team, was playing out there. COVID happened. And then he came back to sporting and that's when we had the conversation and we opened the door for him to go and have a trial in Bangladesh. Unfortunately for him, it worked out and he loves it out there. And he's injured at the moment, but you know, where I'm hoping in a year's time, this is going to be one of the biggest success stories we're going to talk about coming out of Tower Hamlets. This kid potentially could be playing for the Bangladesh national team within the year.